today on The One Upbeat. As a companion to our 1997 orchestral music episode, I thought we'd take the time to listen to some of my other favorites from 1997. You'll hear music from Koji Kondo, David Wise, Michiru Yamane, and more. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show and thanks for listening. As mentioned in the opener, I thought it would be fun to do a special episode just going over a few more of my favorite soundtracks from 1997. I like to focus on the orchestral soundtracks in the last episode, but come on, we're leaving out so many amazing soundtracks just because they weren't recorded live. So let's jump right in, yeah? I was wondering how to order the six games we'll be looking at today. Should I do it as a top six? Eh, that's boring. We always do that. Date? Eh. I thought we'd do uh, light to dark tone this time. It was kind of funny how easy it was to order it that way. So let's get started with the most cheery game on the list. And what game is more cheery than one of the most cheery games of all time? 1997 brought us the sequel to 1995's Yoshi's Island. It's funny, at the time, it felt like a lot longer between Yoshi's Island and Yoshi's Story. Yoshi's Story was known as Yoshi's Island 64 for a while as well. I think the game threw people off a bit when it first came out. Sure, Yoshi's Island had that very colorful watercolor look, but Yoshi's Story went all the way into the cuteness. Everything from the super happy tree to the humming and bopping around of the Yoshis themselves. Of course, this extends to Kazumi Totaka's unforgettable score, which manages to be catchy as well as over-the-top cute. The music for the individual levels is usually a different arrangement of the main theme, Everything from tropical beach music to some weird hip-hop stuff. The score itself is just a really tight production. Everything just feels right, sounds right, and gets stuck in your head big time. There's also a lot of great gibberish in here. I'm pretty sure to this day nobody knows what the Yoshis are saying when they sing during the sections in between each chapter. It's just a great time overall. It's also worth noting that Yoshi's story is the game where they gave Yoshi his current voice, provided by pitching up the composer Totaka's voice himself. Go on YouTube and look up what it sounds like without the pitch adjustment. It's pretty terrifying. Yoshi's Story is such a joy. It's very easy to play right now, too, if you haven't for some reason, since it's on the Switch Online's Nintendo 64 collection. There's way more fun music in there than we could even get to close to playing here today on the show. But for now, let's listen to some of my favorite tracks from Yoshi's Story with music by Kazumi Totaka. (laughs) 
The best music ever recorded for video games is here on The One Upbeat with your host, Eric Silver. Second up, we have our second most light game on the list. I feel like any other list ranking games from the lightest to the darkest, a game like Diddy Kong Racing where you have a bunch of colorful and cheery animals racing around an upbeat island would be a shoo-in for the least dark game. Unfortunately, nothing can beat out Yoshi's story. Diddy Kong Racing is a masterful game, and was only released in the holiday of 1997 because Banjo-Kazooie wasn't ready to fill the spot yet. Because of this, with Banjo himself and Conquer the Squirrel, are racers in the game, it's the first game appearance of each of them. The rest of the cast are original characters, though a few like Tipped Up the Turtle would appear in other games in the future. This was during the era where Rare was making games that rivaled Nintendo's classics. People compared Banjo-Kazooie to Mario 64, and the same can be said for Diddy Kong Racing compared to Mario Kart. Diddy very well may be the better game than Mario Kart 64 itself, and it could easily be argued that Diddy Kong Racing is a better game than a few entries of the Mario Kart series as well. This extends, of course, to David Weiss's timeless score to the game, which accompanies the high-speed race and the wild mayhem and squawking from the characters as you race through the various worlds in a game and try to save Timber the Tiger's Island from the evil Whizpig. I don't know if the game just hit me the right way at the right time, but the game itself, the way it looks, the way it plays, and of course the way it sounds, is just one of my absolute favorites, period. I guess I'll let you be the judge, and we'll listen to some of my favorite tracks from Diddy Kong Racing, composed by David Wise.
best video game music coming out of your speakers. This is the One Upbeat on Cinematic Sound Radio. This next game might be my favorite of the bunch that we're covering today. When I was younger, I found Mystical Ninja starring Goemon at Blockbuster one day. I played through the entire thing just by renting it a few times. I also thought I was the only person who ever played this game, but during the advent of the N64 nostalgia, I learned that I wasn't the only person that this game struck a chord with. Mystical Ninja was the second game in the series to come to the West, and arrived with a Game Boy companion game. The series itself, known as Gambare Goemon in Japan, had been running since 1986 over there. The game was notable at the time of release because everyone who played it kind of saw it as a great game to keep them occupied until The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time released. Ocarina of Time wouldn't release for another year at this point. A game like Mystical Ninja should have been forgotten, but it had its own unique style that made it unforgettable. To this day, I still remember details about the game vividly. The game itself was developed by Konami's internal developers and directed by Etsunobu Ebisu, who would go on to found Good Feel Games and work closely with Nintendo by developing games like Wario Land Shake It, Kirby's Epic Yarn, and Yoshi's Woolly World. The composers on the game include Shigeru Araki, Kato Yusuke, Saiko Miki, and Yasumasa Kitagawa. Most of them have kept pretty low profiles ever since, though Kitagawa would go on to work for Capcom. Most of his credits are for the Ace Attorney and the Mega Man series. One of the most notable parts of the game's soundtrack is that despite being an N64 game with limited memory for audio, the game managed to have three vocal tracks. The first is for the game's opening movie, sung by the legendary Hironobu Kageyama. The second for the sequence called Gorgeous My Stage, performed by Toshihiro Tachibana and Etsuyo Ota. And finally, the song for the summoning sequence of the giant robot Impact, sung by the timeless legend Ichiro Mizuki. The game's score has such a delightful mix of wacky and goofy with traditional Japanese sounds. The game very openly takes place in Japan. It's strange how all of a sudden being very openly Japanese is completely normal in games brought to the West these days. It used to be that everything had to be super localized and you had to pretend that things still took place in the United States. And now you have kids casually watching subtitled anime and their games don't always include English dubs. Something as Japanese as Mystical Ninja back in 1997, or 1998 for the Western release, was a very rare occurrence. It's so hard to narrow down some of the best tracks to play here. We'll include two of the vocal songs and a barely scratching the surface level selection of tracks. Go listen to the full soundtrack if you can. The game did receive a CD release at the time. That's the good news. The bad news? It's going for hundreds of dollars on eBay and elsewhere. It's also one of those games where people loved it 25 years ago and would say, gee, I hope they put it on a Nintendo 64 service on Switch Online, but you know as well as I do that the game this niche has almost a 0% likelihood. I hope my saying that jinxes it, though. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the music as much as I do. Here's Mystical Ninja starring Goemon. Hey! 
To the one upbeat on Cinematic Sound Radio. We're starting to get into the more serious material now, which is funny that I marked that turn with a game about a bunch of animals talking to each other while flying fighter jets. I'm, of course, talking about the great Star Fox 64, truly an all time classic. You've heard the lines, you've likely played it. It's not even that it's a particularly complicated game, but it just did everything right. While there's a ton of charm with the chattering creatures, the soundtrack itself, composed by Koji Kondo and Hajime Wakai, takes itself completely seriously. It commits to the idea that this is a straight space drama. There's action, adventure, stakes, intensity, and the music treats it as such. I always appreciated that in media, committing to the idea. It always seems like nowadays, whether it's movies or games, that anytime anyone is presenting something a little goofy or a little charming, they panic and think it's tongue-in-cheek instead of just committing to it. The score is exciting and powerful, and it includes one of the best end credits pieces to date in games. There's a reason why 25 years later this game is remembered so fondly. I'm not going to pretend that it's all the music, but I'll sure as hell advocate that it's a big part of what made the whole package nail what it was trying to do. So what else is there to say than to play some great stuff from the score? Here are selections from Star Fox 64, composed by Koji Kondo and Hajime Wakai. Thank you. 
Thank you.
listening to the One Upbeat on Cinematic Sound Radio. How do you do a 1997 feature without mentioning GoldenEye? Arguably the most famous game of the year, with the exception of Final Fantasy VII, GoldenEye obviously was the first really big console first-person shooter that made a big impact, but the score itself is just as important. The game's composers were able to use the Monty Norman James Bond theme in the game, and you could tell that they had a blast doing it. So who were the composers? The lead was electronic composer Graham Norgate, who was fresh off composing Blast Corps, also released the same year. Having to write music for two games so close together, Norgate got help from young whippersnapper Grant Kirkhope, who to that point had only converted the original soundtrack from Donkey Kong Country 2 to Game Boy for Donkey Kong Land 2. That would make Goldeneye Kirkhope's first original composing job at Rare. Robin Beeland was brought on to compose the elevator music as well. A lot has been said about Eric Serra's music for Goldeneye, the film, but I think arguing style aside, the game's score is just better overall. In fact, I'd argue that people remember the game's score more than they remember the film's score, though that might be more due to the pervasive power and impact video games had on people compared to film, and that is profound. Just ask all the people who are in their late 20s and think Battle of the Heroes is from Star Wars Battlefront 2. Here's music from GoldenEye 007, composed by Graham Norgate, Grant Kirkhope, and Robin Beedlin.
the best symphonic game music from every generation this is the one upbeat on cinematic sound radio finally on the show today the darkest score of the bunch what's darker than a spy action game with lots of shooting and death well death himself 1997 produced a number of all-time classic games most of which still have their impact felt today and one very strong one is castlevania symphony of the night Symphony of the Night is the first major involvement from series producer Koji Igarashi. While not technically his first credited game, his influence in any significant sense really starts here. This is also the second score in the Castlevania series by longtime composer Michiru Yamane, after her success on Castlevania Bloodlines. Symphony of the Night was such a huge success that it really set the standard for the series for the next decade. 
We, of course, know that the Castlevania series would eventually become a 3D action game series led by Hideo Kojima, and aside from the really old-school Castlevania fans who equate the series with the NES era, it's really this so-called Metroidvania era of Castlevania that people still look back on most fondly for the series. And Michiru Yamane was a major part of that, providing the soundtrack to most of the Castlevania games before the Lords of Shadow era. Yamane would leave Konami in 2008, around the time many others did, but still held a close relationship with Koji Igarashi. So much so, that when Igarashi eventually started the campaign to produce a spiritual successor to the Igavania era of Castlevania, she was announced to be on board to compose the music. Yamane composed music most recently on Bloodstained Curse of the Moon and Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, and it all goes back to her work on Castlevania Symphony of the Night. You'll understand why in a moment as we play selections here from Castlevania Symphony of the Night, composed by Michiru Yamane. Thanks for listening to the show today, and we'll catch you next time on The One Upbeat. This is Eric Silver.
Thank you for listening to the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers you hear throughout the program, and to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And wherever you're listening to us today, please take a moment right now to leave us a rating and a review of the podcast. You can get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt at our Tee Public store. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematic sound radio. And don't forget to check us out on the web at cinematicsound.net.